good morning. We welcome you back to Talk Clarity. I'm your coach, Coach Clarity. We'll continue on with segment two on the neuroscience with trauma with Haley the Therapist from Traumagility. Is there a link between child abuse and medical conditions? Absolutely. Absolutely. So ACEs, um, so ACEs is the adverse childhood experience scale and ACEs basically just gives you a number and high ACE scores are linked to pain disorders, to autoimmune disorders, to chronic illness, mental illness. And so basically the higher your ACEs score is, the more that you are, um, you're more susceptible to like, even like homelessness, like they've, they've, they've tied it to that. And there's a whole study on it. It's a huge worldwide study on ACEs and trauma and what it does to your body. And basically if you're in a toxic environment and it's like constant toxicity, your body responds to that and your stress goes up and stress wreaks havoc on the body and that stress and the cortisol with the stress, like those are the things that like really start to break down your system. And so you start with usually like, yeah, stomach issues, uh, irritable syndrome, gastric issues, like GERD. Um, you start to see like behaviors, regressive behaviors. And then it starts like with the depression and anxiety. And then it goes to maybe like you get sick because your immune system gets suppressed during stress responses as well. And then you start to develop autoimmune disorders in the severity, you know, cases like rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia. It's, it's incredible on what your body can do to you because basically you're a little child in there and you're, you develop this mantra during trauma of I'm not in control and I'm not worth it. I'm not good enough. And so why would you want to stay in your body? Why would your soul want to stay in your body if your body is not good enough, if you're not good enough? So your body like literally starts to reject itself. So I'm connected to a network of people and have been for almost a decade, I'd say now, of people with pain syndromes. I mean, these are good people. These are nurses. These were doctors. These are kids that were dancers or in gymnastics and, and just playing these different things. Very competitive, um, very intelligent, very active, very social beings. And then you're seeing at an instant something happens and they'll say like an impact of like an example would be like uh, uh, cheerleading and an injury with cheerleading when they fall down well that injury heals up gets better and then this unexplained pain that medical the medical community can't seem to figure out what's causing it that is then being given a name but there's not just one Mm -hmm. the, the statistics with it, with, you know, a lot of these pain syndromes are so high. Mm -hmm. They're so high. And, you know, you're 
I was actually just taking a look at that just like researching brief, you know, I don't have a whole lot of time, but just, you know, the, the link between medical and pain disorders. And I just put that into Google and I briefly read that, you know, like fibromyalgia, complex regional pain syndrome, arthritis, somatic pain, um, you know, it, and, and so much, so much more. Mm -hmm. um, is is linked to um, child abuse of some form. Yes. Now I'm not saying like all pain disorders do that because I do feel like genetics are involved as well with some of those. Um, but look at their trauma history. Look at the vets. Look at the vets who are developing these autoimmune disorders just up the wazoo. Like fibromyalgia rates are super high for vets. And that's where you get these sicknesses. So is the brain creating these and why? Let me put it to you this way. And there's still a lot of research going on with this. But the brain, you can cause yourself to have a headache right now. Start thinking about, oh my gosh, my head hurts. My head hurts. My head hurts. You start ruminating about that thought. You start really like feeling it and starting to believe it. Your head will hurt. Your body can do so much to create chaos. And it feels like chaos. Your body, like there, there's like a huge link between like just verbal abuse with parents and like children developing like narcissistic personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, OCD, you know, like paranoid person. Like it's just, it's, it's phenomenal what your brain can do, but it's also phenomenal what your brain can do to heal. Because right. people have hurt, cured themselves of cancer just based off of their thoughts alone. I've read that. Mm -hmm. I have. I've read that. So fascinating. You know, and I think we really need to just dive into this a little bit more just because when we're talking about three out of four children are experiencing some form of abuse, you're talking about three out of four children, um, you know, likely responding with um, this, you know, these, these unexplained medical conditions. And, you know, it's, it's real heartbreaking because what I've seen, um, you know, from individuals, conversations with, you know, nurses that used to, well, they used to practice, they can't anymore. And, you know, they, there's just so much mistreatment going on there within their own medical community and not by all medical physicians, not by all staff, but, but certain people that just, that don't understand or don't have the awareness uh, where, you know, they treat, you know, the individual like there's something wrong with them. They minimize their pain. They minimize their reality. They, um, you know, have a tendency to, um, you know, have them, you know, they're, they're told it's in their head. I heard one nurse say to me, and she's going, I used to take care of people and I get where they're coming from, but this is real and I'm in pain. And so, you know, it's so hard because um, oftentimes you'll see, you know, their, their own support system within their own family, um, you know, that, you know, some have described where they've just, they, family themselves have minimized it or they'll roll their eyes at it and, and, and I'll look at, there's the elephant that's in the room. There was a, a boy that was, I think, like 10 that I ran, ran across um, who was doing some, some infusions many years ago. And, you know, with these infusions, he's just, you know, it was just real heartbreaking when he was just, you know, talking about the way that 
that his family would minimize the pain and the reality of what's going on and, and treat him like he was this elephant in the room. And it really struck a chord on me because he wasn't the only one that I ran into. There were grown adults, there were adolescents, there were, you know, as young as like nine. And and I and I did connect to um, to that community just because I have some background in it um, with you know some 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 loved ones. And because I was exposed to that, because I was able to see that, uh, it really opened my eyes to a lot. But as we're getting into these numbers and these statistics, I'm sorry, but three out of four. And so we've got a real issue going on here. You know, what advice do you have for those suffering in pain and, you know, family or the medical community um, from having a, a, you know, just a negative perspective on them? What advice do you have um, these, for these human beings? And if I had a quarter for every doctor <laughs> that I've heard, like, say, oh, it's all in your head, right? Um, and I've, I've worked with those doctors and I've seen that happen. I don't think that all doctors are like that. I think that there's some really good ones that really do care, but two things. Okay. We just came out of an opiate crisis and I mean, that has been huge. In fact, like with COVID, like opiate overdoses are just insane right now. Um, addiction rates are insane right now. And so when it comes to pain, that's going to be like, a, there's a social stigma surrounding pain, right? There's a social stigma surrounding mental health. Like only recently have we really just begun to change as a culture and say, okay, it's, it's okay to talk about mental health. It's okay to talk about these things. And so, I mean, you have these two things and it's very hard to, to treat pain because I mean, as, I mean, I'm not a physician, um, but I know as a therapist, like I get a lot of people that are in pain and that, um, are no longer in pain, you know, once we go through the therapeutic process. And I think a lot of the time pain is mental pain can be, um, of course, like managed by medications and stuff. But what do these medications do? They block off the, the receptors for pain. And so, um, I think getting down to the core issue. That would be my advice. Um, and, you know, I have, I have a lot of, um, you know, respect for the medical community. I, I did work with doctors. Um, and so like, I've seen some really phenomenal ones, you know, want their numbers, like call me. Uh, I know which ones exactly, which ones go to. But um, I think uh, working as, as a team to, to find what's really going on, what's causing the pain, what's causing the root issues. And instead of, you know, minimizing it, I would say, let's work to find what's, what's causing this in, if it, there's like no medical um, explanation for it, like all your labs come back fine and, you know, MRIs are coming back fine and everything's good and nothing's broken. Like the medical community just kind of puts their hands up and it's like, I don't, I don't know what, you know, medically further, I can't treat this patient. And so then they request the person to go to a therapist. And then it's my job to figure out, okay, so when did the pain start? So it would, it was involved in a cheerleading accident, right? So your knee hurt. And then what happened? Oh, well, the girls like really bullied me. Boom. Okay. All right. We're getting somewhere. And then, so what happened when you had a, an injury to your knee? Like, like, how did you take it? How did you feel about it? Well, I was on crutches and people would make fun of me or I was in a wheelchair and people would make fun of me. 
and I was, you know, less than like, I, I wasn't able to do what the other girls were doing. Like that is a real, like a, a real heartbreaking thing. To so something's happening though in the brain because, you know, these children aren't making it up what they're feeling. Yeah. They're feeling real physical pain. These, these grown adults are feeling real physical pain. So what is happening to the brain during that? Why is it responding like that? Why is the body responding to the, to, to the brain like that? Well, it's regressing. You know, brains can atrophy just like muscles. And so it's regressing to survival mechanisms. And so when you shut down the prefrontal cortex of your brain, then you're only operating out of your survival mechanism. And what's the survival in that, in that scenario? It's to be needed to be part of a tribe because a thousand years ago, if you weren't part of a tribe, what did that mean? You were going to die, right? You re we rely on people as tribes, as hunter gatherers. And, you know, the evolutionary rates are very slow <laughs> these days. <Yeah. laughs> right. Wow. Okay. So I, I, I really wanted to tap into that just because my heart has gone out um, to that community because the numbers are so high with different pain disorders. So important to talk about this and treat this as a real issue. It's a real thing that they're feeling. And if we can address the, you know, their symptoms, what's, what's going on. And like you mentioned, get to the root cause of it. And, but we can approach it, you know, society-wise as this is a very real thing. How are we going to like empower and come together and support this person to help bring them out of this? Because something's yeah. obviously happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not surprised with how high the statistics are with different pain disorders when you're talking three out of four children by the ages of two to four. So, you know, this, this gets into an, an, a next top topic that I wanted to get into, you know, with the brain and the way that it's re reacting, mental health disorders and the mental health community. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually reading a study. Um, it said any mental disorders among adolescents. And so it was based on a diagnostic interview data from National Core Mobility Survey. Did I pronounce that right? The what? Core, core comorbidity. Yeah, say that word for me. Core mo. Oh my goodness, comorbidity. <laughs> oh, thank you. I was trying to figure out how to I know, pronounce it's one that. Of those words. That it's like. <laughs> so it was a survey done um for adolescents, and it's in Figure Five. You can go find it. In fact, I'll I'll attach it to this. Mm -hmm. Um, but it showed that you know, and this is age ranges of thirteen to eighteen, and it said that it's estimated that 49.5% of adolescents had a mental disorder. And of those adolescents with mental disorders, it's estimated that 22.2% had severe impairment. Jeez. Haley, the therapist, I'm going to let you lead the floor with that because we're talking about mental health disorders. Now we're talking about three out of four children mm. there's so much i can say on mental health disorders um and even like if it's not a disorder yet so here here's what i've seen i've seen 
people go through traumatic incidences like 9-11 and if they were open to processing and processing the trauma early on the the lasting effects weren't there versus somebody like vets like vietnam vets they don't talk about it they just keep it hidden and you know honestly that was my my issue too is that i kept it hidden and the longer you keep it hidden the more progressive and severe that it gets so when you're talking about like borderline personality disorder narcissistic personality cluster b's right what's a cluster b i'm sorry a cluster B is, sorry, it's in the DSM-5. It's a diagnostic statistics manual that we use. Um, and a cluster B just refers to the personality disorders. And what we know about personality disorders now, and, and of course, like this, this topic is huge. Research is continuing to grow and to, um, and to just, just be studied on so many different levels. I mean, there's there's chemical trials going on for this right now. You can look it up like maps and stuff. They're like, they're working with the veterans who have completely um, have gone nonverbal, like they can't function. They can't go out in the community and they're isolative and like three out of four are being healed like through psychedelics. Wow. Yeah. Three out of four, three out of four. Yeah. How do we I plug think, into that? <laughs> well, so right now the MDMA trials are still in their, their clinical phases. I think, I believe they're going into phase three right now um, for ketamine and for marijuana and for psilocybin. That's been, I mean, marijuana is becoming legal. I mean, I know that Utah has a medical marijuana program. They have a ketamine program. They have a psilocybin program. And so we can hop on psychologytoday.com um, and look at the different you know, therapists and, and, and psychiatrists. And typically you have to have a psychiatrist that um, will prescribe these medications to you and have it in conjunction with therapy. And that is the most effective. And just results have been absolutely just phenomenal with that how new is this uh not new (laughs) not new um actually so there was a book that i just read it's called be here now and um he's a psychiatrist the author was a psychiatrist who was at harvard uh in like the psychedelic phases i think it's like this don't quote me on this i'm terrible at history uh, timelines, but I think it was like the seventies where like drugs were all the rage. Right. And they started doing these unethical, uh, trials of this, the drug LSD, and it was healing a lot of people. And he actually got kicked out of Harvard for it, like kicked off his seat. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not new. We've known about it for a long time. If you look at ancient populations in the Eastern culture, like they use opium, right. They use I mean, Native Americans used, let's say, psychedelic drugs in order to get to a higher state of being. So, I mean, it's not new, but it's starting to become wildly acceptable and it's starting to be really studied on a scientific level. And then they're starting to see the effects of the science. And then they're starting to agree with it because science doesn't really lie in this case. So, I mean, you're you're talking about taking a a chemical is really what it is and read 
it's almost like rechanging that the brain's chemical that was unplugged. Yeah. Yeah. So you're rewiring your neural pathways is what you're doing. So, and, and there's still like some questions on how this happens, but like ketamine activates the glutamate receptors, right. And psilocybin does as well. So MDMA, they're saying like, it almost turns on like all the faucets and allows you to create like oxytocin and you can bond and you feel more safe. And so basically that's what these drugs do is it makes you feel more safe to talk about your trauma. Because one thing that we know about trauma is that if you're, you don't feel safe, you just shut it off because your brain has several different fail safes and your body has seven different fail safes. So if you experience too much trauma, it's like overload. It's like overloading your circuits and, and just electrocuting you because your brain is electricity. So there's a bunch of fail safes in there to, so you don't do that. And that's why you see some people, they just have mental breakdowns. They, they call them like mentally insane. They start to have like schizophrenic, you know, you know visions and, and stuff like that. Like those are the extreme cases where the fail safes in the brain failed to work and, and they were overloaded. So when you see like severe trauma like that, um, you, it's a systematic process. You really have to know what you're doing in order to unravel that trauma to work on it.